Hello, and welcome to the IMS Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloomberg. Today, we're speaking with IMS Senior Jury Consultant, Dr. Araf Jabor, about the unique role consultants play in helping attorneys and witnesses communicate their case to the jury, the effects of high-profile trials on public perception, and using social media research to identify jurors' existing beliefs and inform voir dire and jury selection strategy. Dr. Jabor applies clinical psychology and research expertise to numerous cases, including product liability, white collar crime, toxic tort, catastrophic injury, and complex business litigation. He has published and presented numerous works on jury research, juror perceptions, voir dire strategy, and nuclear verdicts. Ara, thank you for making the time today. I see by your CV that you went to Northwestern University for your undergrad and Penn State for your master's and your PhD. Congratulations. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how that helped you launch your career? Sure. Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited about the opportunity to do a little bit of uh, teaching, hopefully. Uh, I got into psychology early on as an undergrad at Northwestern and kind of fell dove into it, taking as many classes In fact, taking all the classes I think they had in psychology and then switching to clinical uh, at Penn State, I always had a fascination for why people do things and what makes people tick and uh, how to help people. Initially being trained as a clinician, listening skills, communication skills, understanding where people are coming from, what values drive them uh, to think and behave in the ways that they do. And spending the years in gathering that knowledge and also practicum because at Penn State, there was a clinic there that you get as much practical experience as you want seeing patients from the community. Uh, So those communication skills got honed fairly early and fairly quickly, thankfully. So how did the direction of your career change towards the legal field? After that training was done, I'd realized that I wanted to do something different, still taking a lot of the skills of writing, reports and questions, questionnaires, as well as, uh, you know, some didactic teaching components and also the, the skills of, you know, communicating, helping people, getting things across better and also understanding what really what's behind somebody's thought processes or beliefs or systems of what makes them tick and where could I do that? At first, I didn't know. So the jury consulting field, I, I, I tell people I fell into it you know, just literally meeting somebody who was worked at where I worked two two employers ago and got to learn from them what it was about, got the job. And then I started into the the career path of learning everything I can about all the different services that that are provided that jury consultants typically do. That's a, a fascinating path you've taken. I can see that that's what makes you a good jury consultant. You understand what resonates with a specific group of people based on who they are, their beliefs, their biases, their experiences, and then apply that to help craft the storytelling techniques the trial attorneys use to reach the jury. When it comes to your work, what would you say your role is and and what's the value you bring to a case? It's a great question. You know, uh, when I'm introducing somebody to a topic, especially a lawyer who's never used jury consultants, I, I use the analogy of we're the translators between the language that the lawyers speak and the language that um, jurors understand and speak, right? 
and to kind of try to bridge the gap between the two and find the ways, the words, the messages, the themes, the arguments that will resonate for a particular case that the lawyer is comfortable using, that the jurors can understand and that they're reaching the jurors in the way that they need to be reached. And then that's sort of at the most top high level uh, con you know, conceptualization, uh, the way I think about it. And then, you know, as you drill down, there's a lot of teaching, uh, helping lawyers how to ask specific questions uh, when you're in your uh, assisting with war deer, uh, how to frame stories. Attorneys live through cases for years. They know all the details. Uh, the jurors don't. So we need to figure out what are the details that matter. And that ends up being a critical component of our work, you know, funneling it down that these are the few things or the few many things that really matter to people. And there's also another component, which is the witness preparation, uh, where whether it's the expert or fact witnesses who have to be have to understand that testifying, whether on a deposition or trial, is not like normal conversation. And what are some of the pitfalls that are specific to each person that may get in the way of them being a, an effective communicator? Now, let's talk a little bit about trials. We've seen some some recent really high profile trials, uh, Heard versus Depp, the Elizabeth Holmes trial. What do you think the average person on the street's perception is about trials and these sorts of trials versus reality? If most people's perceptions still to this day about how trials go are based on what they watch, whether in movies or television, right? So there's one, the expectation that trials go really fast. Uh, there's the expectation that everything's clear in a trial. There's uh, an expectation of uh, a clear cut case that's presented from one side or the other. If, but now with whether it be just media in general or social media or even YouTube, because people can watch certain parts of the trials on YouTube channels, there are more and more people exposed to what's really happening in the courtroom. So they realize it's um, jury selection is a tough process. Uh, being a witness on the stand is not what you see. Uh, it's like on, on TV. There's sometimes a lot less drama than you think there is. Things are a lot more dry that they might be uh, in the movies or on, on film. I have definitely watched some shows that dramatize the courtroom. And when comparing to reality, you're right, it's, it's way drier. What other differences do you think jurors are noticing when watching real trials? It's typically when they, when they see how verdicts are handed down. They are, there's usually maybe one or two components in a verdict form on a, in a TV show or uh, uh, on, on, uh, on movies. But in these cases, they're complicated questions. Right. And some of the individuals, whether they be the criminal trial, may have been found guilty of some components or charges and not others. Uh, and, you know, others like the Johnny Depp was because he won his case. But then people have to understand what he was really suing for and cut through the drama. Right. It's the sensational. Yes, it's a divorce case. It's a libel case. I think it was. And then understand that, like, what are the critical what are, what's, what are the legal questions that are at stake here? And how interesting is that to, to really you know, cut, cut to the chase? And then people I think are realizing or seeing that there's a lot of back and forth, right? Even if a verdict is handed down, there's still appeals or the potential for appeals and things to go back and, you know, back and forth and back and forth. So my, my perception is, I hope that people are, are learning more about how the legal system actually works for good or bad. 
and you know how complicated it is and what trials really look like. Yeah, nowhere near as glamorous as folks think it is. How about your expertise when it comes to witness preparation? Whether you're helping, let's say, a, a company witness, somebody who's never testified, or helping an expert prepare for deposition or trial, what's uh, what's involved and, and how do you approach that? Sure. Um, I think that component is one of the one of the areas that my background in political psychology really it comes into play more more so than maybe some of the other things that that we do, and that I approach you know, witness up on a very individual basis. Where let's say there's a fact witness, somebody who's not an expert, and individuals who don't really understand what's involved in a deposition, what the tone of the questions is going to be like, uh, and also we. The, the first component is to work through some of what feelings they have about being a witness in the first place. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met a witness who was excited to be deposed or to be a trial witness. But there are some people who are debilitated by being in that position, whether they be really nervous or angry or anxious or fearful. Some people might be fearful that they're going to lose their job. Some people are concerned that their testimony is going to win or lose their the case. So there's a lot of things at play. So we try to work through those, work through people's expectations or beliefs. And that really varies from person to person. What other aspects do you consider when preparing witnesses? There's a certain amount of education that comes in play from the lawyers, their lawyers, about what the case is, what their role is going to be, why they're being called to testify. And then there's a didactic component where sometimes we have a presentations about the do's and don'ts, witness testifying, how being a witness is not the uh, same as normal conversation. We show them a chart, like here's what you do in normal conversation, you don't do that. And go through examples, at least on paper. The, the most learning happens in the practicum where lawyers in, uh, do a, a practice cross examination of the witness and to see how they do under pressure. And through that, you know, sometimes it takes more than one session, we develop the themes or the home basis are sort of the safe spots that these individuals, these witnesses need to go through and to explain and, and, and to, the, uh, to the jury ultimately to try our fact while they're, even if they're dep being deposed or they end up being in trial. Does your approach to witness preparation change when you're working with an expert? For experts, there's a little bit more. Sometimes or oftentimes experts have testified plenty of times, whether they have been deposed or at trial. And the goal there is to make sure for us to assess or for me to assess how effective of a teacher that person is. They may be the greatest and, and latest and greatest and most educated in their field, but are they able to display and communicate concepts to lay people that in ways ultimately that they can repeat to each other in the deliberation room? Or are they perceived as um, uh, pedantic in some cases or, you know, or not as clear and communicative? And how do they teach? How do they understand the concepts? Because jurors ultimately care a lot more with how approachable and understandable a particular expert witness is rather than their pedigree and how much how many letters they have after their names. So we come in listening for uh, answers that may need more explanation, looking for opportunities where witnesses can capitalize on to provide those explanations and then helping them formulate them in their own words so that they can find opportunities to educate the jury while 
the attorneys are providing us the sort of the universe of the questions and the topics. We're trying to provide how those mess what the messages should be and how they should be communicated across. Again, to make sure that the jury understands and believes what they're saying rather than you know them dismissing a particular witness or not believing them or, or finding them to be unpleasant. Let's let's move forward a little bit in the case timeline to jury selection. One of the services that you and your team provide lawyers and trial teams are social media searches. Can you describe what IMS does when it comes to social media searches of the jury pool? Almost every person we know has some social media presence one way or another. Some are more active than others. And it we understand that people, certain people might be a lot more vocal or expressive on different social media outlets uh, than they would be in person. And so that then has become a universe for us to investigate and see what people are saying and doing uh, on their devices or at home on their computers. So what we do is we have a team of professionals who in every particular case, when we have the names of potential jurors, if we can get them ahead of time and we know the location, they delve deep and dig into each particular juror and create a file uh, of anything they can find, whether it be on Facebook posts, Facebook pictures, pages they follow, uh, Twitter posts, uh, LinkedIn profiles, and any other sort of social media outlets that somebody's active on. And that gives us a window of hopefully somebody's you know, thoughts and beliefs and um, values that they have it, to bolster what we can collect from them, you know, if, in instances where there's a jury questionnaire um, from the voir dire process. Oftentimes those two are limited, maybe non-existent. And then, so we get some data, some information about someone uh, from their social media in terms of what they value, who they follow and why. And it, it may be rare that somebody might have something so probative and so, you know, but when you do find that, it's really critical. So we have always have to assume that there might be something there about each particular person that's, uh, that's a potential juror. Right. I'm curious to know, are there any situations, different venues, certain judges where it's not allowed? Are there, are there, uh, are there, are there any rules against it? As far as I know, um, there are no rules against it. However, in my experience, there have been some judges who have explicitly said, and they have been, in my experience, federal court have said there cannot be any social media research on uh, any of the jurors. And mm. so obviously we have to adhere to those to that rule and not do anything. In other instances, there may be some rulings that are pending. Um, and then the judges will say, you may be able to do some social media research, but you can't put that information on anything uh, for the moment. You can save it in ways or at least save links, but not have anything yet put down anywhere. Uh, and then once a ruling or a final judgment is made, then it goes one way or the other. So it varies, but most often it's allowed. What's something we can learn about a juror that can make or break a case? So let's say if you're doing, dealing with a, 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 a toxic tort case, somebody who claims they were exposed to something and may have caused uh, a, a disease that they have, and you're working in a jurisdiction where, you know, you may know that most people there have strong opinions or anti-corporate opinions, but you really, so you're dealing with a pool that may already be particularly biased against your client, your corporate client. 
but you want to really find the worst of the worst in that respect. And, you know, that brings up the other side point of, you know, jury selection being more about deselection, right? finding the bad apples, at least for our clients. And then, so if we dig deep into a particular person's social media profile and they have, they are active on social media, A, to begin with, and they regularly post things, and then they are expressing strong opinions and sharing them with the world that may be anti-corporate or maybe something that they said directly against this particular defendant or other similar ones, and they shared them out there. So they're making their voice heard about these particular biases and opinions that they have. In that scenario, let's say that person didn't speak up much in the courtroom during court year, or if they're answering questions on a questionnaire and they didn't put much about any opinions and say, I don't have any strong opinions. But when we looked behind the curtain, then they have a lot of strong opinions. So then we know and we can advise our clients that this person is dangerous for, for your case because we've discovered these this, this, and that uh, in their profile. And that helps inform what our opinion of them. I've been in cases where, for, for whatever reason, trial team has decided not to use PhDs who are deep into the social science, and they have their own staff. Um, admins, paralegals, associates do their searches. Can you talk to us about the differences between those two approaches? Sure. Well, I think at top of mind is the is the number of hours and the staffing that that we are able to provide versus you know if they were to use somebody in their own offices to to do that, right? If we are retained to do that, then we have a, a set number or you know a varying number of people, I should say, who are able to devote their time and efforts to doing just that. And, you know, two, three, maybe four hours per witness or per um, juror, depending on how many there are and um, how complicated the case may be. And we can find, we can dig deeper in that sense and provide the, the background checks and, and the deep dive into somebody's social media profile to see and go through all of the posts, go through all of the, uh, or as many as, as possible, all the postings on Twitter to see what, what bubbles up to the surface. And if somebody posts something along, you know, uh, uh, who, who does not favor, let's say tort reform, and they say anybody, everybody should get as much money as they can, or maybe they even referenced a, a recent huge nuclear verdict, right? That happened, say, and they say, well, that's not even that, that's not even enough money to compensate such and such plaintiff, or these corporations have even more money they, that they need to pay. There's something there, right? And I think that the advantage is having the number of people who are dedicated to doing just that and get into it as deep as possible. I think that's what differentiates whether being whether somebody doing it uh, in their law firm uh, who have other plenty of other things that they, they can be doing uh, and they may not know what to look for. The other thing is in terms of what to look for, we're typically retained to do these uh, social media searches, whether in conjunction or after we've done jury research and then we have a profile and we're looking for certain things. And then we're looking for certain things to fit that profile. And if we find them, those opinions within the social media search, then that helps uh, that way as well. You talked about toxic tort cases in state court. And sometimes those can go for weeks until you pick a jury. But what happens in cases, say, in federal court? Uh, where you have a very limited amount of time, sometimes you have two hours. How do you approach those situations? That's that's a tough situation. Uh, but also, again, it's something that highlights how prepared the attorneys need to be to conduct a very surgical 
uh, for deer. And that's another way that we can be of help. Let's say we have a patent infringement or copyright infringement case in federal court, and we only have an hour to ask questions. So the lawyers need to know exactly which questions need to be asked, but also pay attention to what the other side, what other questions they're asking on the other side. So if we have done research, then we can distill questions from our jury research that are critical to ask to get at people's potential biases, again, in this sort of surgical strike scenario. And also we have profiles that we could develop, again, to get at them in as, as quickly as possible. And so I think in those situations where time is limited, we even add more value because we have to help the lawyers to don't, so they don't have to think about, well, which questions do I need to ask? Here are the five, 10, 15 questions that you need to ask You know, if you only have an hour to make sure that we get the folks uh, that, that we need to get off the case. Thank you to Dr. Araf Jabor for speaking with us today and a special thanks to our listeners. Please join us next time and subscribe to the IMS Insights Podcast. IMS has delivered strategic litigation consulting and expert witness services to leading global law firms and Fortune 500 companies for more than 30 years and in more than 40,000 cases. IMS becomes an extension of your legal team from pre-suit investigation services to discovery and then on to arbitration and trial. Learn more at expertservices.com.